0: Would you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2? We'll start there again this morning. Luke chapter 2. begin, Uh, a friend in the church sent this to me this morning, and I wanted to start by reading this to you. This is an Associated Press uh, newswire from Cairo, a bombing at Egypt's main Coptic Christian cathedral, killed 25 people and wounded another 35 on Sunday, that's today, and one of the deadliest attacks carried out against the religious minority in recent memory. The attack came two days after a bomb elsewhere in Cairo killed six policemen, an assault claimed by the shadowy group that authorities say is linked to the outlawed Muslim Brotherhood. Islamic militants have targeted Christians in the past, including a New Year's Day bombing at a church in Alexandria in 2011 that killed at least 21 people. The blast took place as a Sunday mass being held in a chapel was about to end and coincided with a national holiday in Egypt marking the birth of Islam's prophet Muhammad. Most of the victims are thought to be women and children. Our sermon series is on peace. Luke chapter two, verse 14, the hosts of heaven cry out, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men. And then you read something like this, right? Have you ever found yourself wondering, where, where is that peace? I have a sense that a good number of us, or at least all of us on some number of days, have felt as though I don't experience the peace on earth that I read about in Scripture. And for those of us in the church, we, we have, uh, the book answer is, well, one day we'll have peace. You know, one day it's going to come in fullness. Uh, I guess my question would be, what do we do in the meantime what about the meantime? What about uh, when you read things like this? What do we do now in light of the chaos we see now? The peace that God promises us, he's not promising that he's going to magically lift us out of the world we're still living in a world dominated by chaos, I think. And so, I guess my question this morning is, what do we do now? If you turn one page earlier, there's another really wonderful Christmas reading. It is Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and he the Spirit comes on him, and he sings or says in a really beautiful way. It starts off... In verse uh, 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. I mean, he's talking about Christ. The shepherds on the hill said today in the city of David has been born Christ the Lord. He's talking about the Christ. And this is how it ends. Look at verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. How does that look now? The prophet Isaiah says, the wolf and the lamb will graze together and the lion will eat straw. I mean, what does that look like Now, last Sunday we read from the Gospel of John, Jesus said to his disciples in the upper room on the Last Supper, he turned to them and said, my peace I give to you, mine, not what the world gives to you, my peace. Nearly every human in that room was martyred. Nearly everyone that heard him say that died. Because of their belief in him. When God says, peace on earth, what does it mean for us now? Our focus passage this morning is actually going to be Matthew 5, so this is the last time I'll ask you to turn, but if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 5, if you're in Luke, it's two books earlier, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And I'm bringing us to a section of scripture that we call the Beatitudes. Uh, It's part of a Sermon on the Mount, is a... series of preachings that Jesus gave, and I want to read them to you. These are the Beatitudes from the great peacemaker, Christ. Matthew 5, verse 2 says this, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now we'll get to blessed are the peacemakers in a second. But right away I want you to note that the cosmic bringer of peace to earth assumes that this world will have poverty, persecution, oppression, chaos, conflict, the prevalence of falsehood. He's assuming them in In these statements, the assumption is the world in which we live is rife with these sort of vices or situations. And yet to the people to whom he came to bring peace, he says to them, he implies to them, it's good if you're a peacemaker. You make peace, go make peace. Now, in church and in scholarship, there's a phrase that we use when we try to understand a situation like this. Why do we celebrate the Lord of Peace at Christmas when we read of the chaos in the paper? How is it? And the book answer is a phrase that is often iterated that we live in the already and the not yet. The already in the night yet. It's an idiom in the life of the church. And it's helpful. The phrase helps us hold on to the fact that the Lord has done his part. But the full ramifications of what he's done have only been realized in part. So the Lord has done everything the Lord needs to do for peace to come. But the full ramifications of those things are... Have not fully come to fruition. The already and the not yet. And I get it. I know it. I teach it. I believe it. I use it. Uh, And then this week, it did not. It didn't feel satisfactory. Not that it's wrong. I just don't want to stamp something like the bombing in Cairo with not yet. I don't want to walk into the waiting room for an operation and just give someone the answer like, well, not yet. And I'm not content that it's Always the right answer. This morning I want to ask us Is it possible that it could be a cop out for the church? Or at least is it possible that we are resting way too much on a one liner? If I think back to the Old Testament, there's times. When you read the prophets, and I'm only going to show you two, but there are more than two, the pro- prophetic word from the Old Testament is rife with these sorts of statements. Where you read of injustice in the Old Testament, and you don't get the sense at all that the holy and righteous disposition is to say, not yet. This is from Isaiah. I think it's, it should be in front of you. Is that it? Good. Good. I'll just read it to you. The Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and the princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people? By grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord God of hosts. Does that sound like he's content with not yet? Here's a word from Zechariah 7. Here's what he says. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, by the way, a different Zechariah, an older Zechariah than the one we read earlier, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another, do not oppress the widow the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against one another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond-hard Lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his Spirit through the former prophets. Does it sound like the righteous disposition of the people of God is to wait on his consummating glory with passivity? Or is this, or does he intend us to do something? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Here's another thought. Is already and not yet something we've learned to say when things are okay with us? When things are good enough, when they're already good enough for me, <clears throat> do I look over at what is not good enough somewhere else and just say not yet? It's a really beautiful example in the Old Testament. The narrative of the Old Testament when God brings his people to the land of promise. It's, it's a fabulous the theology of already and not yet is just placed right in front of us. The Lord brings his people to the border of the land that he promised to give him and he says, I have delivered the land into your hands, and I'll go take it. That's already and not yet, in just exquisite form. I've delivered it as a statement God said. I've I have already determined this is yours. And then he says, Sharpen your swords, get to work. Go take it. Not yet. And the people of Israel enter into the land and they march around cities and they draw their swords and they do the very hard work of purging the land from unrighteousness and taking hold of what God has given them. And for a while, they do a hard work of living into what God has already done until such point that whether it's by tribe or by clan or by family their situation gets good enough. When it gets good enough already, they grow tired of the not yet. You know, as things, as this quality in in a person, in a situation, whether it's your standard of living or any sort of thing, when the quality of a situation rises, it hits a threshold where to continue to invest effort into what has not yet been realized feels like a law of diminishing returns. Why, do, why continue to work on that? Because it's good enough. I just wonder if there's times in our lives when we look out and we see situations where what we are really saying is, is it's good enough already, not yet. You have a chronic sin in your life? Something you can't shake? Do you think the Lord is content with you saying good enough? It's good enough already. Does the knowledge that God will one day fix everything cause our hands to go into our pockets and wait? does the knowledge that in our lifetime we won't see pure and perfect peace or pure and perfect righteousness or pure and perfect justice or pure and perfect holiness, does that knowledge end up serving as a sort of anesthetic to holy living? Now, as I write this, I am... Sensitized to the fact that someone might say, Well, watch it. You, this is social gospel. It's not. It's not social gospel. Social gospel is a theology that focuses on secondary problems as though they were the primary problem. That's social gospel. The problem is world hunger. The problem is education. The problem is poor health care. It's not. And but a righteous response to social gospel is not not yet. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God." I think, I believe, two things need to be vigorously argued for from Scripture two things, vigorously, tenaciously argued for in every soul of every Christian. And this is the first, a robust understanding and a belief in the nature of the peace of God that has already come to us. I think every Christian needs to vigorously understand the kind of peace that has already come to us. That's the first thing. The second thing is an equally robust conviction that we too are bringing peace that we already have to the not yet. That we're part of that. We have to fully understand what is it that God has given us, find satisfaction and contentment in what he has already done for us, and then we propagate that into the not yet. What does it mean to robustly embrace this already? When God says peace on earth, when he says my peace I give to you, when he's called the Prince of Peace, when we celebrate Christmas, what is it in that that we celebrate? This, here it is. It's, I'm sure it's more, but these are things we as his children must, must truly believe, one, that God has already disclosed to us his disposition towards us as a lover of people. We must must believe that, that God is on our side, that a holy and just God looks at an unholy and unjust people, and his response to that is affection. We have to believe that. Not just here. It has to be at work in us. Two, we must know that Christ has already disclosed the nature of his love for us in the fact that he died for us. This is love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Three, we must believe that Christ has already disclosed excuse me, three, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which has already happened, demonstrates God's satisfaction in the sacrifice of Christ and Christ's supremacy over the grave. Both of those things have already happened. Four, the gift of the Holy Spirit, which has already been given to us, represents God's continuing and enduring love for us and his desire to continually change us. Five, the consistent and pervasive teachings of the apostles which have already been given to us that commit us to lives of faith and not lives of fearful labor because God accepts us through his love and not our merit. Those five things have to be in us. That God is on my side. That Christ died for me. That his resurrection vindicates vindicates the power of God over death, that the Holy Spirit indwells us for our good as a vouchsafe of God's love and that we are saved by faith and not by works. All of that has already happened. Already. Which is why the people of God can have deep, abiding shalom. It has already happened. And this, a robust embrace of this is what allows, enables, empowers, and sends us into the not yet. Just think of the Beatitudes here. What gives someone who is poor in spirit the power to the ability to exhibit the wealth of God's love for others. It's a robust understanding of what God has done for them. It is a deep abiding belief that God loves them that allows someone who is poor in spirit to love others. What to the person in mourning who is comforted by God, that person can comfort others. When the meek walk around as though they will one day inherit the earth, that changes places and things and people. When truth seekers find their satisfaction in God's truth. How can the world not be changed by that? When you who experience injustice react not not with a vicious sense for your own vengeance, but rather are able to show mercy. Why? Because you have already received it. You can give it to them not yet. When you, in the midst of conflict, can step back or let it go or sacrificially and selflessly give of your own self so that reconciliation might happen. Why can you do that? Because you have already received the peace of God. And you can offer it to the not yet. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Our time on earth is not a time to sit back and wait for God to fix the not yet. In fact, we should rename it. Something like I know, the already and get started. <laughs> the already and go. Go already. I don't think we want to be a people one day who looks at God and says, I don't know why you never did this. And the Lord's saying, I don't know why you never did this. This is a truth, that the Son of God came to make peace on earth. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's pray. Lord, impress us with what you've already done for us. So that when we see, when we are brought into, Lord, not that we're shackled by global guilt, of global epidemics, but, Lord, when things come right in front of us, things that are as small as we are, and cross our very path in life. That our mindset would not be on your deficit, your deficit of love to the earth, but rather your overwhelming surplus and bounty of mercy and love and power that you've given us. We sit in the bounty of your love. May we, Lord, not be caught in the things, the mystery of the things that you have not yet done. Rather, Lord, may we go to seize what you've delivered into our hands. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.